0: David, the New York Times' Nick Kristoff recently wrote a column called A Letter to My Conservative Friend. <laughs> what I want to know is uh, if you were writing a column as an open letter, to whom would you address it?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I'm sitting here looking out the the, the windows, uh, and for some reason, my uh, that, that probably is the reason. My head immediately goes to like a letter to my animal friends, or a, le- a, le- a, letter, a letter a letter a letter to all all animal species uh, in our in our in our backyard. I don't know what is the what is the letter. I don't know I don't know what massive group. I really have anything to say to that they would listen. Although I'm not sure that Nick Kristoff's conservative friends are listening to him necessarily. What, what, what is your What is your answer?
0: Well, I just feel this whole open letter style comes from a previous era of punditry. It's a little bit like starting something, a modest proposal, colon. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't I mean like that, modest that. proposal. Okay. I just mean like the, you know, about like 15, 20 years ago, an open letter to... Mm-hmm. where you're sort of feeling the power of the internet. Like, I can write something, and everyone's going to read it. Yeah, so I'm going to write an open letter to somebody.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could totally... I mean, you could, you could do it, too. I mean, it was... It, if you were one of the first 100 open letters on the internet, it really felt like you were doing something novel. Um. And yeah, you could say things... There, there was a lot more freedom. I mean, it, it's from the pre-internet time, there's a freedom to be redundant. There's a freedom to be, you know... Samezzy with everybody else. No idea was assumed, presumed to be new, or maybe they all were at that point. Now you got to try a little bit harder than a letter to my fill-in-the-blank friends, right?
0: Isn't every column an open letter? <laughs> like people who are not conservatives are allowed to read Nick Kristof's column.
1: Well, I know, but if you know the the, the the totalitarians at websites all over the world keep turning off com- comment sections, Ooh. then it really. <laughs>
0: David just took it to the totally different reg.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ooh. Turn off all your comment sections. That's what we have Twitter for.
0: Coming up on today's show, why is GameStop such a wonderfully juicy story for reporters? The Ringers' Katie Baker is here to explain it to us. Plus, what if we had a Super Bowl without the same amount of Super Bowl hype? Would Tony Romo's voice still get really high when he gets excited? Just like this? All that more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. media consumers brian curtis and david shoemaker here david first up we've got a very special guest she loved the financial industry so much that she became a sports writer <laughs> and she just wrote a fantastic explainer dictionary about the GameStop saga she is ringer staff writer katie baker katie thanks for coming on the press box hello fellas
2: thanks for having me
1: I remember when I first met Katie and she had, she had this great, I mean, she like, she had this, bur- her reputation was burnished by the fact that she had a real job in finance <laughs> and was, and was writing about sports for fun. But then when she left the financial job to work, to write for about sports full time, it's like, we really got her. It was like, we, 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 we nabbed her. And now, you know, she gets to write about, uh, about GameStop, uh, stocks when, when things go crazy on the side. So, uh, I'm glad you're here, Katie.
2: It's been fun to watch CNBC all day. It's you like back some, you know, repressed memories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so help out two financially illiterate podcasters here. Why is the GameStop story so interesting for reporters to cover?
2: I think, I think first of all, um, what always makes things interesting is just that there's a layer of absurdity. Like it, it's a layer of absurdity on top of a lot of really important pillars and so it's as a result, anyone can understand it even if they don't understand anything about what's actually going on. They can still understand that it's funny that you know people on Reddit are talking about chicken tenders and bringing down Wall Street. So if that's your your level of um, of grasping it, that's still interesting to read about and and to text your friends about um and then there's kind of an escalating uh, you know constellation of takes and and um and opinions and news going on throughout. So, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about how I used to love the uh, New York magazines, the undulating curve of shifting expectations kind of looked like a stock chart. It kind of was a stock chart. It was about, um, you know, the hype to something and the backlash and the backlash to the backlash and the, you know, reconsidering everything at the end. And, I just feel like that's what's been going on. You know, you you find, you hear about bringing down Wall Street and then you hear, actually, they're not bringing down Wall Street because Wall Street's in on both sides of the trade. And then you have this app Robinhood that I think a lot of people have probably started to tinker with over the mm-hmm. past year, you know, whether or not you're, you've graduated to the Reddit point of it or you're just kind of, you know, looking at it. It's a really cool app and it's really well-made app. It's fun to use. So, you know, that... There's just so many aspects to it. Stevie Cohen's involvement, you know, Jim Cramer. It's just there's there's just a lot to grab onto. No matter who you're writing for, there's probably an angle that's relevant to you.
1: You you mentioned you mentioned Steve Cohen, new Mets owner, uh, former Twitter user.
2: R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. I, I. Pour I. One out. I'm I so think sad. that
1: I you know I, I I'm not sure. What, he, th- there's any reason to, to demonize him at all. all but I, what I did find about his interaction with Barcelona's Dave Portnoy, uh interesting was that he seemed to be, he himself seemed to be slightly oblivious to the reason why people were interested in the story. It seemed like, and I guess, as someone who has paid more attention to this world in her lifetime than either of us ever will, I mean, as someone who still, I'm sure, pays attention to some degree, um or can wrap their mind around it. Do you was it shocking to you that this was the story that grabbed everybody's attention? Or do you or 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 is it is it is it just clearly one that you can just get your fingers into so yes everyone is just, you know, that you understand why it's so so it's all all encompassing now.
2: Well it's kind of you know I was thinking when I was writing um sort of a dictionary of terms about all this for the ringer Thank you for doing that. Um, <laughs> um I was thinking about bubbles and Stock market bubbles through the past, and um, you know, kind of the day trading phenomenon in the late '90s. Which, by the way, I want to come back to because I want to ask you guys what you remember about that because um, it was an interesting time in my life too. Um, but with Steve Cohen, um, what's interesting to me is that he is someone who, when I worked in finance, and he was, you know, at, at SAC Capital before that got kind of taken down by by regulators eventually, but he was known as just this very shadowy figure, this, you know, the sort of Dr. Claw, um, didn't talk to the press (laughs) almost ever. You know, you only knew about him through what you heard from some analyst friend of yours that you were talking to at Dorian's or whatever. And um, then he bought the Mets. Then suddenly he's Uncle Stevie on Twitter, you know, asking people what kind of ice cream cone helmets they want. And I think, I honestly think he got a little used to piling around with people on Twitter. You know, those of you who read his tweets, it was like very specific syntax, you know, not just two spaces after a period, but two spaces before a period. And, um, and then all of a sudden when, um, you know, he had kind of a, the tough night that he talked about and was like, keep it up stock jockeys. And I think he just wasn't prepared for the combination of all the people pouring into talking to him, um, kind of really understanding, like he sees himself as a trader. Um, I think that's what he was talking about with Portnoy. He's like, you and me, we're just two guys trying to make a buck out on the trading floor, um, which is a little disingenuous. But the fact that he actually sort of had to log off, um, it was it was all like a very, um, you know, kind of a supernova of a Twitter account. Um, I, I just think the, the combination of, Him being involved with, you know, infusing more money in and um, to Melvin Capital, which was kind of his protege, the guy that runs Melvin Capital. Um, So I don't know, like, who made the call that he needed to get off Twitter. He said his family was getting threats. I don't know um, what that refers to, but you know, that was it. Just like that, and that's one tiny little angle of like this whole story that has a gravitational
0: force of sorts. That was another thing that really interested me was the everybody's a pundit quality of GameStop? Because if we had like a great scandal in sports, Mark Cuban might weigh in, but Bob Kraft wasn't going to weigh in and Tiger Woods isn't going to weigh in. But here it seems like everybody has weighed in. Is that a quality of financial journalism or is that unique to GameStop, do you think?
2: I think there's always, um, you know, there's hashtag FinTwit is always a very rollicking place on Twitter with a lot of opinions (laughs) flying and people being accused. I mean, there's people I follow on there that I don't even really know who they are, but they're always like in a feud with this other person that I don't know who they are. And it's like been going for years. So there's a lot of that always happening. But, um, you know, this is the kind of thing that my mother-in-law, when I posted my article, you know, te- uh, texted, oh, my husband, Sam, was just asking if I knew what GameStop was. So it's it really got to a different layer where you started having it on, not just CNBC, but on CNN and on the nightly news. And, you know, I'm sure the the Today Show, SNL, like all those things, it, it captured their attention. Because I mean, at its root, this is about GameStop. Like we all have been to the mall and seen, walked past GameStop or stood in line at GameStop. It's not a very exciting, futuristic place. Maybe, it will, I don't think it ever even once was, even when video games were the future. Um, and so there, you know, so it just, pulls people in. We're not talking about some company called, you know, uh I don't even know, Melvin Capital. Like it, it's we're not talking, you know, as soon as you say GameStop, people know what that is to some mm-hmm. extent and it's like a way in.
1: It is. I mean, it, and 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 again, thank you for the explainer. I, as soon as this thing started getting enough traction that that Ringer editors were discussing it, I dropped our editor Ben Glicks- Glicksman a note and said, we need to publish a piece called "What is a stock?" because people because <laughs> people are already jumping too far ahead. You didn't do that. you're too smart to have written that, but you got close enough that I actually could digest it, so I appreciate it uh but yeah, gamestop is is tangible. um, I was there myself like within the past two weeks, and I think that and and honestly, when this thing started happening, one, you can understand this sort of emotional connection to to it whether or not you're a gamestop patron. you can understand why people. You know there is an emotional aspect to the story, right? It's it's not just people trying to to get the short sellers. It's people who are have a little bit of nostalgia for GameStop in their hearts, right? I mean that's a real thing that they've that they've had experience with. Um, and I also, but the, I mean, the thing that occurred to me at the time was I thought about the guy that ta- that literally two weeks ago in the store convinced us very politely that our twelve year old probably shouldn't get uh, the cyberpunk game because it was too uh, you know rated R for him and and we we're and you're just like okay cool like thanks for doing that and i knew this kid was like this kid was would have been one of my friends you know in the 10th grade and I, and i couldn't help but think like that kid could lose his job you know and like the whole generation of that kid is gonna, is not going to have a job because of everything that's happening so there is something deep there is something like i said tangible and personal that you were getting at what do you think do you think that at the end of the day this is a I mean, you wrote an explainer. Do you think that this situation is itself sort of an ex- enough of an explainer for average people like me and Brian to wrap our heads around what's going on? Is this going to be our way in to discussing the stock market for for the next several years?
2: I think what it does do, I mean, it's hard. Like, there are certain things on my explainer that I couldn't even take a crack at. Like, I I, I sort of understand what they are when I, you know, from my background, but I could never explain it to someone, let alone explain it to someone that um, really doesn't know what a stock is. And that's a lot of people. And um, and even it's kind of like trying to explain the rules of NFL football to someone. Like, you know it, but when you say, okay, you've got four downs to get a first down, it's like all of a mm. sudden someone's like, I have no idea what you just said. Um, and so there's a little aspect of that to it. But I do think it just shows the interconnectedness of everything from, um, you know, the markets to the money to, you know, one thing that's been really interesting as, and I think has also been one of the reasons that this has uh, had some staying power, is it's it's starting to show a little bit of a not dichotomy, but just like a little bit of a cleavage between high finance and high tech. And I think those like you're starting to see it's like that's something that's interesting to me is you, you have these finance guys who were sort of the story of the of the aughts. Um, you know, these hedge fund guys. Mm-hmm. And now it's like these VC guys and these tech guys, and you know, you have them going on CNBC and kind of um, taking it to the anchors, and then the anchors are a little taken aback. And so it, there's these very real trends, um, and yet obviously those people are raising money from people with money. And you know, when Robinhood sort of found itself in some regulatory financial straits, you know, it's still a part of the capital markets, even if it's an app. And so it still has to deal with boring things like clearing houses. Um, but they're not so boring. So that's been like a fun tension that I am excited to continue to watch.
0: You mentioned Jim Cramer earlier. What has this done for the discourse, if that's the right word for it, on CNBC?
2: Well, CNBC, I haven't really seen Cramer so much like in the past few days, but, um, you know, Jim Cramer, for those who don't know, is kind of the he had a has a show on CNBC called Mad Money. And it you've probably like heard it or seen like a, a spoof of it or something. It's, you know, he's got his sleeves rolled up. He's stalking around this like very small cramped um, man, financial cave type thing. And, but, he's, but it's a very, re- it's like a call-in radio show, basically. It, like he's taking calls, someone saying, you know, what do you think about this company? And he's kind of doing on the fly analysis. It's a really fun show. It was a big kind of, TV hit. Um, so he's always positioned himself as kind of the, you know, the voice of the little little guy investor. And now we have these, you know, supposedly little guy investors. And it's kind of a Frankenstein out of his control a little bit. Um, but, you know, I so I think CNBC largely the number one thing that I've heard on watching CNBC over the past week, which has gotten really annoying, is that everyone has to preface every statement by saying, Look, I'm all for people being able to invest in the market and I'm all for a person making their first trade. But what happens to these people when they're left holding the bag? And like, that's fine. Like, that's not, I don't disagree with like having that line of thought. Um, It's just a little disingenuous given that they go to commercial and it's, you know, we'll buy your jewelry for gold and, you know, all these, (laughs) all these, what CNBC even is in general and and what it stands for. So um, the attitude of CNBC has been really fun to watch. It's been, you know, it it honestly reminds me of, of watching CNBC during like the market crash, just in terms of the, um, the spirit of it, the sort of nobody knowing what's happening next, um, Except in this case, there's it's a it's just a little funnier. <laughs> um, you know, you're talking; they're trying to explain to the viewers like what 10Bs are, and so um, yeah, CNBC's. You know, I, it's funny. I, I, I turned on CNN, and I was like, "This is so boring." <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to get back to CNBC. That's probably not a good thing. Are
1: they? I forgive me. I haven't watched it for a second. Are they? Are they? Are CNBC treating this like? election night? Like, are they, is Jim Cramer working 15 hour shifts so that just to get the, the, the top performers in front of the cameras for as much time as possible? Or is this just right? Or this status quo, like everything is going as normal. There's just a lot more eyeballs on us than we're used to.
2: It's funny. Now that you say that Jim Cramer is totally the like, sort of finance Steve Kornacki. Um, he, I haven't seen that much of him, but I've been, I might have not been watching at the right hours, but the thing that they keep saying that I'm laughing at is they've sort of decided to name this whole thing the Reddit Rebellion. And they <laughs> keep talking about the Reddit Rebellion. And it's just a little silly. And it's just, it, you know, you watch all these people and you every now and then they'll have a representative sort of of the people or um, someone that isn't, you know, the chief macro strategist at XTP Investments in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, and when they do, it mixes it up. But otherwise, it's a lot of befuddled people um, who aren't really sure, like, how to what to take of this. And uh, it's been very chaotic energy.
1: Have they figured? Have people? Have the guests figured out? Or they, did they figure out pretty quickly that going on to CNBC and 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 crying about how they're losing money is is a bad idea? Like, did they or, or the the rich folks realizing that they can actually, you know, they they did those clips can get passed around Twitter.
2: There's definitely some scolding um, going on, <laughs> but you, this is sort of a tangent. But you made me think of it. Um, one one really kind of funny side note was that I don't, some guy on Twitter made a joke like, "I just took out a second mortgage on my parents' home or something, and put it all into GameStop, something like that." Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another and the New York post ran an article taking this at face value. Um, and it was, it reminded me of very like hanging on the flippity flop, you know, um, era, just, uh, shenanigans that was very enjoyable and loose, low stakes to watch.
0: (laughs) We had a, uh, person sent us a Twitter joke last week that Deep Fucking Value, who is a Reddit user mixed up in all this, will be the hero of a Michael Lewis book in like three <laughs> years. Which which may be true. But Katie, you texted me yesterday to alert me that we have entered the Ben Mesrick portion of this whole thing. Uh, can you give us an update on on that?
2: Yes. So Ben Mesrick, the um the author of such favorites as Bringing down the house and uh, the Accidental Billionaires, which became the social network movie that we all know and love. Um, as he, I think, did with his book proposal for the social network, for the Accidental Billionaires, he has sold it to, uh, he sold a new book proposal called, I think, The Anti Social Network is like the working title of it um, to MGM, I think, for a movie. So the book the book hasn't been written obviously the proposal itself i think is still hasn't even been auctioned yet but um already the wheels are turning and then i just saw today actually that um Netflix i think is ordering some kind of series that has um their favorite Netflix star i'm i'm sure i'm going to mispronounce his name because i haven't talked to another human in a year but um Noah Centineo is that how you pronounce it um he's the he's in all the he's in like all the boys i loved before yes. all those Cool young movies, um, and then the one thing that I'm concerned about with this project is that I saw that Professor Scott Galloway is an advisor for the script, um, and I don't even know how to like explain his recent take that he made. But it was he basically has decided that this is all a story about like incel young men in their parents' basement who um, you know are lonely and untouched by the hand of another, and so. He has been sort of doubling down on that. Yeah, I just saw some weird news appearance from MSNBC, I think. Um, so he's a, he's a advisor on the script. So I'm very interested to see if this is just like a weird, you know, movie about someone, a sad, a sad young I man. I did take
1: this in. I, I took it. I, I saw that quote. The background of that segment is just kind of indecipherable. He has all these newspapers like weirdly arranged as his backdrop. Yeah. But he was—he it was a crazy monologue. We're like looking away from the camera. He was ranting about the lost like social capital of young men obsessing over the Robin Hood app instead of making money and meeting girls. Like it was the it was the most with, bizarre like, thing with, ever. Uh, and
2: then, by the way, all those girls. He then pivots to say they're all in their rooms cutting themselves because of Instagram. <laughs> so look look forward to that movie on Netflix um in the coming year but the but yeah the 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 Ben Mezrich one I you know that he's kind of got a track record of this exact type of story and based on his Twitter he seems to be a former GameStop visitor himself so I think he's excited about it it it's
1: it's a really interesting story for a lot of reasons and I think that there's a certain you can you can you can neatly parallel the way that the average people are excited about it, with the way that you know everybody from Scott Galloway to the various you know execs and CEOs that we've seen make fools of themselves on CNBC. Their their befuddlement, is like, is a is at a perfect right angle to everybody else's interest in the whole thing, right? Because, well, my my wife, we were watching this, we went to the news about it and 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 talking about it the other day. My wife said this is what makes me so mad about conspiracy theorists because there's so much to be outraged about like right here happening in the real world. And I said, but here's the thing, like Q is actually way easier to understand than the stock market. <laughs> Maybe this is gonna be people's, Q. well, I don't wanna say this is the Q of the stock market, but this this, this makes it understandable in a certain way. And it certainly makes, listen, we feel so much of what we do on outrage. Now, this does make it easier to be outraged about the way that the system seems to be rigged, right?
2: Yeah. And, well, and it's also like one, another thing that's interesting is that, like I said, it's so funny and it's so silly and it sort of has that in common with elements of Q once if you remove the, you know, insurrectionist uh, outcome of it. But similarly, in a sense, it has like much bigger ramifications. And so, for example, AMC Theaters is another one that um, was kind of identified as a stock that a lot of people um, began to invest in, but that a lot of sort of the smart money was already short. Um, so it kind of fit the pro and, you know, you have a little bit of a nostalgia, um, not that that's what they're picking on, but it sort of, it did sort of seem like there was a theme there, but, um, you know, so they, their stock price went up so much that the, the $39 billion hedge fund that had a huge stake in, in AMC beforehand, um, decided to basically get out of their stake while the getting was good. And, you know, at the same time, AMC is now trying to use their high stock price to sell stocks to the market so that they can pay down some of their debts. There's like actual corporate finance going on, fueled by some of this. Um, And again, everyone's kind of interconnected and, you know, no one can really parse anyone's motives. Like I I was listening on Clubhouse last night. I hate myself for even saying those words (laughs) to Elon Musk, even worse. and he was interviewing the guy the CEO of Robinhood and he was saying to him like this sounds shady is this you know is this shady is this suspect um and so you know you've you've got the conspiracy going all the way to the top as it always does um both in terms of you know the accusations behind it and the people who believe it
0: before you go Katie do you want to bring us back to late 90s day trading because I, I knew David in the late 90s <laughs> I'm pretty sure he wasn't day trading I'm pretty sure neither one of us knew what day trading really was in the late 90s so how you does guys pop that...
2: but yeah but you guys I bet you guys remember the uh, like the pets.com Super Bowl ads and those sorts of things sure sure, sure.
0: <laughs> how does this remind you of that very special period in American
2: life? it reminds, there's two things. One is that at my high school computer lab, I just remember there was this guy that would always sit, and he had a small world. Was that the name of like the really old fantasy sports? Um, like one of those, it was called like small, small world or sports or something. Oh yeah. And it, this was like in 1998 or so. Um, and then he had eat like E-trade this new thing, you know, that and he was day trading from the school computer lab um, so I remember that. And then I also remember that um when I was a really, really cool teenager, I was an online chat room monitor um, for a company <laughs> called Talk City. And I had stock options and Talk City went public and this was into the big dot-com boom. And I remember my dad came home and said, This is amazing. Like this is gonna pay for your college education. Like he was so excited. Um, and I think we can all probably guess what happened to my my talk city options that expired worthless and the company that you know, stopped existing. And, um, but I was only like 13 years old and I was kind of wrapped up in this huge bubble at the time. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things now that remind me of it. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily exactly the same, but just the frothiness and the, the main, the way it like penetrates the mainstream and all of a sudden someone's like, well, maybe I should be buying you know the silver ETF <laughs> like without having any you know interest in the actual silver market behind
0: it All right you can read the GameStop Stock Market Saga Explainer Dictionary I got through that whole read without uh, messing up on the ringer.com right now Katie is tweeting through this at, uh, at Katie Bakes. Katie thank you so much for coming on the but oh. but
1: Wait before oh. we call this a day I just yeah. want to answer I want to answer the question that Katie asked earlier small small world, small world fantasy uh, was acquired at some point by the Sporting <laughs> News, which was, and there was a huge like bracketed ellipsis here. Now has been most recently acquired by DAZN. So maybe we should get we I... should get John Skipper on the phone and all right, see here we
2: it. Go. see it <laughs> is we got, all to, connected. It's yeah, Ka- everything
1: Katie, connected. Katie, and John Skipper are bringing Small World Fantasy back. You heard it here first.
2: <laughs> Call me
0: Skipper. Thanks for coming on the press box, Katie. Thank you, guys. David, it's time for the Overworld Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. All I got this week were GameStop jokes.
1: That's all I got personally myself. So let's do this. That's great. Yeah.
0: Remember when we were just getting Bernie Sanders mittens jokes? Yeah. And then we just switched over completely. How to is it po-
1: I mentioned this last week, but how is it possible that In the post-Trump era, we are closer to a Twitter monoculture than we were during the Trump era. (laughs) That's a great point.
0: That's a great point. I have no answer for you. We, We can perhaps explore that on a future episode. In the meantime, David, it was an overworked Twitter joke to write any tweet telling showrunner Brian Koppelman that the GameStop saga should be the next season of Billions. It was an overworked Twitter joke to tweet a GIF of Mel Gibson and Braveheart saying, hold. And finally, it was a very overworked Twitter joke to write, thanks to the Robin Hood app, if you want to see some bad trades, you need to wait on the Houston Texans. (laughs) Thanks to Zach Barnett, Don Steele, Ben, Lincoln Truly, and Zach Brooks. If you're waiting until Super Bowl Sunday to reload your Twitter jokes, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week all right david time for the notebook dump and i want to talk to you about super bowl hype particularly the lack of super bowl hype because if you remember this week last year i did this podcast from radio row oh yeah and i still remember the strange looks from the sports radio guy from milwaukee or wherever when he would hear me talking about the ukraine scandal (laughs) (laughs) we were the only two people having the ukraine conversation in miami this year i'm not in tampa and most of the hundreds and hundreds of media people who would be there in a normal year aren't either so it strikes me that we're in the strange place of having a super bowl next sunday without the amount of super bowl hype that we're used to
1: it is kind of weird also that they broke that the, 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 this is the first time that someone's had a home game for the super bowl is it ever or is there is there was there one way in the past it's it's like It's like that the Bucks winning somehow broke the space time continuum. So like like the video (laughs) game won't allow fans into the stadium, or you know whatever. I guess they're gonna allow a few, but it's just it's all so bizarre.
0: I'll tell you, last year the single kind of you know let let us say I don't know if saddest is the right word, but the kind of most secondary Super Bowl media interview opportunity was the tourism people from Tampa because they were in Miami saying hey hey. Tampa, next year, we're here. If you want to interview us about next year's Super Bowl, we're here. That was not exactly a desirable interview. But I just got an email saying, hey, we're we're, we're still here. Tampa tourism, if you want to hit us up about anything. It's like, oh. wow. yeah, I don't know. I, I want to start here. Is there any bit of Super Bowl chatter that would have come from Tampa this week
1: that you actually miss?" Well, I mean it's an interesting thought experiment. It's hard to it's 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 hard to I mean, I've definitely been sitting here over the past what 16 18 hours trying to imagine how the Matt Stafford trade to the Rams would have played to a more uh coalesced <laughs> a more a more quarantine, sorry for the sorry for the the pun uh uh NFL media. Um it it would have had a different tune to it although I can't quite imagine what exactly it would sound like. Uh so I mean, there, there's a there's missing something, and then there's missing something. I guess when it comes to specifically to the Super Bowl, um, I can't say that I feel like I'm missing any uh, missing anything in particular. But as as much as this radio row stuff was, well, we talked about it last week. It, it's not some like you know paragon of, of of sports journalism, but it was sort of inescapable, and I've. Barely, you know, had ESPN on. I feel like it's in the amount that I would normally have done it, or it would be. I'm not. I'm not consuming in the same volume as I would in years past, and that can only. I mean, I can only point towards, well, how my life is different in an era of coronavirus, but also besides that, to how it, the Super Bowl is being covered differently.
0: And that's the thought experiment here. It's like we know the Super Bowl is going to be huge. It's going to have a hundred million people watching it, the biggest single TV event. In American life, mm-hmm. as always, and I don't think that number is going to change very much because of the coronavirus. But what is it like not to have that red carpet walk up of a week of people just telling you to watch the Super Bowl? Yeah, because that's what they're doing. You know, all of us ringer people who went last year, we, we consider ourselves good journalists. We're, we're doing this the right way. But whatever we're doing, we are reminding people to watch the Super Bowl.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's we're, why they—that's why they let you in the door, right? I mean, it's not something—it's yes, a like free advertising. It's not a conflict of interest to, to to accept that. I mean, it's that's that's it. Absolutely,
0: no, that is right. And you you sort of at some point go, oh, I'm I'm here providing free advertising, even if you went the full Hunter S. Thompson and just sliced and diced, you know, whatever the media apparatus around the Super Bowl is, you wouldn't attract interest. You'd probably actually increase it even by that method.
1: Gives those people something to talk about.
0: It's also something kind of funny, I think, that's happened over the course of the pandemic, which is remember when the NBA shut down in March and, like, a couple of days later, Adam Schefter started tweeting out NFL free agent signings like yeah. nothing had happened. Uh huh. And it was like sports has stopped in America, but somehow we still have sports hype, shoulder yeah. programming still going on. I almost feel like that has now flipped and we now have actual sports. Like, we have an awesome Super Bowl matchup ready to go Sunday. But we don't have as much of the hype anymore because of travel restrictions, because of just the weird way the world works now. And it's almost kind of gone the other way.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's again, I've not been watching to to the degree that I have in years past. But I feel like I heard a lot more talk about the marketability of the Brady-Mahomes matchup before that was the official matchup right it was there was a lot of kind of conjecture but but now that it's on the table it just feels like it, it almost it, it feels like like people are kind of putting their heads down and trying to get to the super bowl right like let's get there and and like just grab mm-hmm. on to as many viewers as you can grab and let's get there without you know messing this up somehow
0: totally because everybody needs it CBS, which is showing the Super Bowl, absolutely needs the Super Bowl to happen on schedule. Mm-hmm. And like every sports writer in America needs the Super Bowl to happen so that they get to write pieces and be useful and that their various sites and TV networks and all that stuff get viewers and readers. Like every, Everybody has a collective interest in this coming off, which I guess you could probably say about the entire NFL season, which, by the way, miraculously has basically come off if we're knocking on wood here.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, and we're gonna get, you know, so many articles about the the, the commercials, as that we always get all these, you know, all this like industry response to like the commercials that run during the Super Bowl. This might be the year where that matters more than ever. But it's but, but it's gonna be an interesting thing to parallel that with the or to set that aside, the the NFL coverage too. It's just a different year. It's hard to imagine exactly what we're going to what we're going to get.
0: I also feel David like Every time there's a big sporting event, I'm always like, I read all the hype, right? I read all the rumors before NBA free agency. Mm -hmm. I read all the mock drafts and prospect breakdowns before the NFL draft. I'm like, one year, I'm just going to walk in here cold. I'm just, (laughs) I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to waste all my time. And I'm going to see if my enjoyment is any different. Plus, I will have gained like 900 hours of my life back. (laughs) Yes. This is kind of our chance to do it with the Super Bowl, right? It's true.
1: It's totally true. Uh, we could we could go blind on this one. Um, it would not be difficult, and I'm not sure. I mean, I can only, again, only speak to my own experience right now. I don't feel like I'm lacking in information. I don't feel like when I sit down in front of the TV to watch the Super Bowl with my wife and kids, when they ask me questions about what's going on, I don't feel like I'm gonna have a lack of words coming out of my mouth. Like I feel like I know enough about the Bucks uh, and the Chiefs this season to to explain what's going on and sort of set the stage and and you know get get some you know get in some direction of the odds. Uh, I I don't know that I I'm not sure we'll be missing out.
0: Yeah, I can still fake my way through football analysis uh without even a week of super bowl hype like i can just do that right like that was a great mm-hmm. pass oh that was you know tom brady wow you gotta gotta <laughs> take your hat off to him i don't know if i need radio Rota to, to to quite manufacture that take true other thing i want to run by you is this whole idea that you and i talked about before the season of what is football on television going to look like this year Mm-hmm. What is sports on television going to look like this year? And I've been talking to a few people this week just in very, about various things. And uh, one thing that's come up with producers over and over again is, can you believe how normal everything looked this yeah. year? Yeah. I mean, even the stuff about the can crowd noise kind of went away after mm-hmm. a few weeks uh, after we all got used to it. And some of it, by the way, was pretty good. Yeah. But sports looked like sports this year. And I think that's a pretty, probably pretty surprising, and also pretty a pretty considerable
1: accomplishment. No, it's a huge feat. It's a huge feat. I mean, the the infection issue, and and that was not a non-story this season, but maybe less of one than it could have been. I mean, that sort of seems a little bit like a miracle, uh, especially considering the direction it felt like it was going in the first kind of third of the season. Um, But the presentation. I mean, that is just, you know, pure unabashed kudos to the NFL and their television partners for making this whole thing feel normal. Um, We did talk about it at the beginning. I mean, I think that we were both hopeful, but it it was just, I mean, that it would seem, that it would, you know, feel normal. Um, I'm I'm sure there's going to be an incredible oral history of how the season felt to the players at some point down the road, but for sitting at home... I mean, podcasts that we listen to that spend hours and hours breaking down every week haven't talked about the ambiance since week three. You know, I mean, it's just been a non-factor.
0: No. And I feel, um, you know, like watching the NFC Championship game this weekend. It was incredible. Tom Brady to Scotty Miller pass right before the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. And Joe Buck called it. And then Troy Aikman says something like, oh, my gosh. Which was a perfect call because that's exactly what I was saying on the couch at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember sort of like reeling from that moment and then coming back and be like, this just is like a football game. Yeah, It's like something amazing happened in a football game. And again, I think that's probably partly just because the football was pretty normal other than the crowd. Uh, Everything looked normal. But it is, I think, if you and I had said that in the summer, that would have been kind of an upset. Yeah. I don't think that would have been... um, I don't think that would have been the most obvious answer.
1: I mean, <clears throat> but but of course now to bring this back around, we're walking. I mean, we're we're, we're entering a stadium for the Super Bowl, and and one of the storylines that we're not getting partly because media is has drawn down, but but because the stadium is going to be have a severely reduced capacity, and travel is a non is is a non starter. Um, we always get stories every year about how much of a, how, how much each team's uh, fan base has traveled to the game right when you get in the stadium does it feel like these are is it 50-50 is this going to be you know is has mahomes and and the you know the 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 chiefs if they if, you know if they earn 40% of the fan base on super bowl sunday you know whatever i mean it's just not going to be a factor this year right or it's not going to be a story if it is it's going to be like a sociological study i mean it's 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 a um there's certainly going to be some things that we're used to hearing every single year but there's just no means to discuss it except to discuss it in the negative
0: yes that is always a weird one and that will be yeah the 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 what does the crowd look like who makes up the crowd thing will be one of the one of the like genuinely interesting and unresolved things about super bowl sunday should we yeah. end here by the way with the dirty secret of why reporters like to go to the super bowl <laughs> <laughs> please
1: but go right ahead
0: there's the covering football part mm-hmm. but equal and perhaps even bigger than that david is the status symbol part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My organization sent me to the Super Bowl. Here, here I am <laughs> at the Super Bowl. If I if I haven't emphasized this, I'm at the Super Bowl while I am making this content. Yeah, I'm sure you have a little bit of this with WrestleMania and some of the pay per views over the years, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a certain. There is seeing it in person, which is cool, and you know doing all. That <laughs> I was about to say of-
1: for a second, I was worried you were going to say it was for seeing the Super Bowl, but uh, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> There's see- there is you know there- the stuff you can observe firsthand, but then there is being there, right? There's a little bit of a trade convention aspect of it. Oh yeah, where you look at other people and go, oh you you're here too. Oh we're here too. That means we're the we're in the certain you know echelon of sports writerdom. Yeah. And, and and I guess these days that our publication is in a certain echelon of solvency.
1: Yeah, that we oh, got sent course. to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in, in a year where solvency is more of an issue than ever, <laughs> people aren't going to be able to to flaunt that. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you think that affects coverage at all? Well, they think that will affect coverage this year at all? I mean, do you think people are going to be producing less because they're not sort of. Uh, having to justify the expenditure of travel and everything else? I think,
0: yeah, I think probably the opposite. I think they'll probably produce more uh, because one, they're, all of us are, I think, running in the hamster wheel as fast as we can to try to justify our, our places in the sports writing universe right now. But mm-hmm. also, you just, I think people are just more efficient in a way. And that, and I guess that's the other, the other idea at play here is just, you know, what's all this going to look like next year in Los Angeles? You know, is everybody going to get on a plane and go again because we've proven that we can do it at home? That's sort of the big question of the whole
1: pandemic as it relates to the media. In some sense, the the Super Bowl coverage and Radio Row sort of epitomizes it. It's just so sort of. What's the Latin phrase here? So like so generous. So it's so it's so it is what it is to the extent that like its absence doesn't prove that it doesn't need to exist. I mean, we all knew it didn't need to exist. But its absence sort of legitimizes the whole thing in a certain way. Like we're going to go back to normal. There's we haven't figured out a half measure for Radio Row. And I think of all <laughs> of the things i don't I don't know that there is one, really. you know? No. I mean I think it's either Radio Row, this like this just, you know, earth sucking amoeba that just, you know, pulsing in and out of 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 our lives or it's just not going to be there. Like it's not this yeah. year. So I mean I, I hope that it continues to exist because it is. I mean, it really is something special.
0: Yeah, it's um, is an old football player would sell us boner pills, but not sell us boner pills on Radio Row. Maybe we could find a halfway measure for that <laughs> transaction to happen. Speaking of Super Bowl hype, David and I are going to be doing a special podcast after the Super Bowl. See, Bill and Cousin Sal, David, and Kevin and Nora and everybody else, they get to do the actual game. You and I get the announcers. We get Jim Nance and Tony Romo. We get the Super Bowl commercials. We get the whole media apparatus. So join us Sunday after the game for that. And now it's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline. Yeah. Thursday's headline about post-lockdown economies was, I get locked down, but I get up again. (laughs) (laughs) Today's headline comes from Charlie Couts. It's from the Tampa Bay Times, uh, a.k.a. the city hosting the Super Bowl. Now, Tampa, David, for the reasons we just discussed, is in a very weird spot because the Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl, which is awesome, but they're not getting the fans and hotel bookings, which, from an economic standpoint, is not awesome. I think that probably gets you enough. What is the Tampa Bay Times' strained pun
1: headline? That's all that I get? Yeah. Um, Okay. Tampa. uh, So Tampa. Keep this real Coronavirus, uh, the quarantine, Super Bowl. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't get the. They're not getting what the the um the money, the money. Yeah. Um, as much money. Uh, Super. Is it a Super Bowl pun that I'm looking for here? No, uh, I think you're Buccaneer, gonna go with uh, the name of the team. Is is what t- you a Buccaneer? Uh, a Buck? Uh, mm. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Bucks. Um. Mm-hmm. Bucks. bucks, the bucks ain't here. Oh, the bucks, bucks, bucks stop, <laughs> bucks stop here.
0: Bucks. That, that's really good and probably better than actually what it is. Uh, bucks, but not. Bu- <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you off the hook. Tell bucks, me, bucks, but not bucks.
1: Oh, B U C S, but
0: not B U C K S.
1: Man. Yeah,
0: he is Man. David Shoemaker. Yeah, I, I would I would have gone with the Bucks Stop Here. I think. I think I think
1: you could have made The that Bucks work. Bu- No the, the newspaper version of that is the Bucks Bucks Stop Here.
0: <laughs> he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. Thursday reminder is our special show, how to cover the Senate. And then we're back Sunday with all the stuff about the Super Bowl. Join us for more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David.
1: Later, Brian.